Welcome to the live premiere of the latest episode of the Chillinoy podcast. Today, I'm excited to debut the interview that I recorded with Portia Mittens, a newly licensed cannabis operator in the state of Illinois. This interview was originally released on our Patreon page on February 26th. For those of you who are new to our podcast, we release new episodes every Sunday on YouTube. You can subscribe to our channel to get notified when new episodes premiere. As you listen to our conversation with Portia, we encourage you to check out the description for this episode, where you'll find a link to the show notes, which include links to the video version of this podcast and more. Before we dive in, I wanted to remind you that the Chillinoy podcast is funded by our listeners. If you enjoy our content and are able to support us, please consider becoming a patron on our Patreon page or make a one-time monthly or yearly contribution at chillinoy.net slash support. And if you can't support us financially, please leave a positive rating on your preferred podcast platform. Your support means the world to me. And quite frankly, without it, I would not be able to continue doing this show. We have several new episodes of the Chillinois podcast available exclusively on our Patreon page. Some of the guests include Pamela Althoff, the executive director of the Cannabis Business Association of Illinois, licensed sex workers in our series on the legal sex industry, and most recently, I interviewed members of law enforcement. That's right. I had the police on my show. <laughs> you can stream all of that and more at patreon.com slash And in fact, there will be a new episode dropping soon with a cultivator that announces some 420 deals that they have going on. And uh, most exciting is the fact that we talk about several things that licensed cultivators usually don't want to talk about, including home grow, seeds for sale and dispensaries. Um, I learned about the fact that cultivators have been allowed to grow outdoors in the past, which begs the question, in a world where social equity licensees are looking for capital, why the fuck wouldn't we allow them to grow outside, right? Let them start to have some capital rolling in. Instead, we're pinning them into this highly regulated scenario where you start with what is it, 5,000, between 5,000 and 7,000 square feet, and then you move up incrementally, uh, super capital intensive, hard to get investors. Meanwhile, we live in the agricultural state of Illinois, and we're not allowing people to grow outside. Sorry for the tangent. Once again, you can stream all of that and more at chillinoisnet slash Patreon, or you can go to patreon.com slash Chillinois. Without further ado, sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. I hope so far that you've had a happy Sunday. Thanks. Hello, everybody. My name's Cole. This is another episode of the Chillinois Podcast. Today, I am joined uh, by my friend Philip and uh, a very awesome guest that I've been really excited to speak to today. We're joined by Portia Mittens. Portia, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, please go ahead and introduce yourself uh, to our audience. Um, and thank so, you for your time uh, today. Oh, no problem. My name is Portia Mittens. Uh, I am literally the only one in the world. So I think that's pretty dope. Um, and I am a cannabis, I don't know. So my friends call me Trap Queen P is, is the name that my friends have given me. Uh, what I do in the cannabis space is I own majority shareholder of a dispensary in Oregon. Although uh, you're the first to know this, so the name of the dispensary was the coffee pot and i opened it in january of 2017 january 31st and i was the first uh person of color to open a dispensary in oregon 
and uh, first woman in Oregon and second woman in the country. And so I opened that then, but I recently parted ways with my partner at the time, who was another woman. It was an all women owned dispensary. And I have repartnered with uh, three other people and we are closing the coffee pot and reopening another, it's still gonna be a dispensary, but a different dispensary in a different location. And I'm now majority owner of uh, the company now. So that uh, I sit on the Oregon Trade Association board. I've been on there for three years now. I also sit on the, um, so in Oregon, there's like a $15 million grant that we just got that's gonna go back to be redivested into uh, DIAs essentially. And I sit on that board to help uh, craft that legislation as well as oversee applications to make sure that the money goes where it's supposed to go and we're not giving it to our cousins, you know, uncles and aunties, uh, <laughs> you know, or, you know, it's going where it's supposed to go. And I also sit on the oversight regulatory board, which just, we just sort of help try to steer legislators into uh, directions that make sense because a lot of them don't know, they don't understand, you know, a lot of the nuances. And so we just sort of try to help with that. Um, I'm part of a team in Illinois called Bridge City Collective, where we won a dispensary license, a craft grow license, and a transportation license. So we are vertically integrated and we will be opening soon. Can't give details, but we'll be opening soon. And believe me, you will know. I'll invite you to the, the uh, opening. And I where is where where is your dispensary uh, located, so or like we, what region? Uh, Northwest. Uh, we were East Dubuque, East Dubuque, and um, we have a couple other things that we're working on. So our goal is to have three this year. So we won one, but our goal is to have three. So um, we're working in that direction, and then we have the craft grow. Um, and I also sit on the trade association here in Illinois. I'm treasurer and chair of the minority access committee. And then I also work with the Cook County Cannabis Commission. And, and I have legit trapping and we do <laughs> cannabis uh, oriented events as well. And consulting. Wow. And clothing. <clears throat> And I feel like there's more ands here. You're, you're saying a lot. I think that's it. So I, I have ideas, but they're not. They're sure. not. I literally I'm just, like just had an idea before we jumped on this call, but it's, it hasn't happened. Understood. <laughs> I'm just giving you a hard time because you're you're. It was so extensive what you do. <laughs> so. Yeah, that's it. Well, well hey. It's an honor to to have the time to speak with you with all of that said. Like it sounds like you're a powerhouse in the cannabis game. Or at least, you know, you've been playing in it since what you said, twenty fifteen in Oregon is when you started? Uh, twenty seventeen. Well, so technically twenty sixteen is when I got like the license and then we opened in twenty seventeen. It was like October of twenty sixteen and then we opened in January of twenty seventeen. So cool. and the way I got into it to your first question is um, ironically, one of my dad's friends, childhood friends that is from my hometown home, which is uh, St. Anne, uh, Stone River Terrace, Illinois. He was my dad's next door neighbor growing up. And he like literally knew me as a baby, like when I came home from the hospital. Well, he was in prison in Oregon for weed and a few other things, but weed was on the list of things. And so when he got out, um, it was legal. And he's like, what the, how, in the, <laughs> you know? But he got into the medical game out there. Even as a felon at that time, you could get into the medical game. So we got in as a medical grower, but of course he could not do uh, recreational. So when it became recreational, it just sort of aligned that he started looking for my father and people that he grew up with. And he hit my inbox on Facebook now, let me start with, I think everyone who inboxes me randomly is a serial killer. Like, that's where I start. That's my baseline. It's like, you're trying to kill me right now at this moment. Like, there's a shovel and, and rope in the trunk. 
and you're going to so <laughs> so, so I'm like you know he's like do you know you know this guy and I'm like you know who's asking because you know you're gonna try to come kill me and him and then um you know he starts asking me intimate questions about people in my family and the church that I went to and you know he knew the color of my the front of my grandma's house so I'm like oh this guy's got to be the real deal so I asked my grandma she's like oh yeah that's Ray he used to live next door and like Ray apparently planted some weed plants in my grandma's backyard like in the 70s and like they still grow and so uh <laughs> so that's how we connected and uh, he was like, you need to, he was like, you need to come out here or someone needs to come and take advantage of this legalization in Oregon because it's so much easier, you know, it's lax, it's a real cool, chill place. And he harassed me in, in 2016 of March until I went out there and he showed me around and I'm like, okay, great idea. This could, this could be awesome. Um, soon as I find 100, 200,000 cash, I'll be right back. Uh, you know, just hold my spot. <laughs> so I come back home and he's like, he's like, just be accepting of it. Be accepting that you could possibly do this thing. He was like, don't shut it out. Let the universe, let it be open. Let it flow. So I came back home and it just so happened I was working at a nonprofit. Uh, the nonprofit closed. I got a, um, severance from the nonprofit. I had been saving for a home. Uh, we had started a dog shampoo company with uh, a friend of mine, Bobby Panzer and big boy from outcast. So like all of that was going on at the same time. And then I got a call from Ray on a, like a Friday, right after I got let go. And he's like, I found this family in Oregon and they need X amount of dollars to get their dispensary open. Like they got this far, but they've hit these challenges and you can come in for 30% if you have X amount of dollars or someone you know. And he was like, do you know anyone? And I was like, matter of fact, I do. Like, I'm, I just got let go of my job <laughs> and I got a severance. And I literally said to him, I was like, it's Friday. I ain't got no job. I don't see why not. Like. <laughs> So I'm like, what's the worst that could happen? So I called my mom and I was like, okay, mom. So I'm going to invest in this dispensary. I'm like, you know, I'm putting it all in like retirement, the money for the house I was saving for my severance. I'm like, if this fails, I can get my money back up, but I cannot be homeless. Like I'm not made for, for homeless lifestyle. Um, so I'm going to need somewhere to live if this falls through. And she was like, sure, you can. I was like, can I sleep on the couch? And she was like, I'll do you one better. You can have your old bedroom and you can park in the driveway. I'm like, bet. That's all I need to know is that, you know, if it all fails, I, I won't be on the streets. <laughs> so that's what, hey, we, we got on the phone call. Um, I did a, a video chat with the people, with the family. Um, the woman was on the license, but it was like a family I was working with. Did video chat. I agreed to do it. I sent them the money and we started working on getting the license completed. So I'm, I'm curious just cause like licensees, I know like dispensary licensees in Illinois, aren't they like, they can't like sell, like would you have been able to come from Oregon to Illinois for that same situation? Cause I know that's one of the problems they have raising money for the dispensaries. Like they can't sell shares of the license off to like investors as partners. Or something um, like that? It's more difficult in Illinois. There are ways around it. Um, and it's it's more of a timing thing of when the shares are sold. Oh, okay. Yeah, so it's more of a timing thing here in Illinois. So, yes, but it would have been had to have been done a different way. Yeah. Oregon is, for lack of a better phrase, more with the shits. Um, they're <laughs> like, you got money, we got time. So... <laughs> Right, right. I was just curious. I was just curious. Yeah. Yeah. So there is a way. It's just uh, wording and timing. Gotcha. Yeah, that's that's super interesting. And what do you, can you 
just for folks that, you know, a lot of people listen, they're from Illinois cannabis. Can you tell us more about like what you mean about, I mean, obviously Oregon to you and I and people that smoke weed all the time and know the history of Oregon, but can you give our listeners, you said they're with the shits. <laughs> what do you mean by that? <laughs> tell, tell us like, especially in comparison to Illinois, I think that'd be interesting. What I mean is that Oregon is, they're very liberal in, in a lot of ways. Like for instance, I don't know if people know this, but like Oregon has legalized all drugs for personal use. Cocaine, heroin, meth, <laughs> it's legal there. So uh, they're just more like, you know, as long as you're not killing people and maiming people, we're going to let you live your best life out here. We're not going to ask too many questions because we really don't want to know the answers. <laughs> like you can come <laughs> out here and you can be great. Just don't kill people and hurt people. So that's what I mean. Like they're, they're not really in your business a whole, whole, whole bunch. Um, pay your taxes. Don't kill people. And you can live pretty much happily ever after. Absolutely. Illinois, um, they want to know, you know, your blood type, your second child, uh, you know, <laughs> what you did in second grade for Valentine's Day. Yeah. Um, I'm just curious, like what you're obviously not operating in Illinois yet, but what has your experience been like so far in Oregon? Um, um, what, what's that been like? I mean, I know you just mentioned uh, changes are afoot and everything, but uh, yeah, I'm just curious as an operator, what's that been like to rock and roll so in Oregon? It was um, because Oregon was became recreationally legal in July of 2016. I got my license. I was officially given my license, I believe it was October of 2016 and then opened in January of 2017. So it was less than a year that they had been wrecked when I opened. So it was a, it was a very loosey-goosey um, in terms of operating. There were more questions than answers and everyone was figuring it out together. It was almost like the first time parent where it's like, we're just all figuring this out together. So they had a set rule, set guidelines and as long as you stay within those, like they let you do a lot of things. Like for instance, in Illinois, you have to have a transportation license. Oregon, you do not. If you have a license to operate, you can transport. So like I transported my own products. I drove, you know, to Portland five hours, picked up my own stuff and brought it back. Like, and that's where the legit trapping comes from. Like I was literally out there, you know, uh, going back and forth legally though like I even got pulled over once with like I had like 40 pounds and the police <laughs> pulled me over and you know I was speeding I was uh and he pulls me over and he's like you know he sees the stuff everyone knows those black and yellow containers so he sees the containers and he was like and he you know smells and he was like so uh what are you doing? And I was like, well, I'm trying to get back to Sumter before I'm trying to get over the mountain before the sun goes down. Cause you know, getting over that overpass. And he was like, well, you were going pretty fast. I'm like, I'm trying to beat the sun. And so he's like, well, you know, do you have paperwork for this? So in Oregon, they give you a manifest, which they have here as well. And so I gave him my manifest and he checked my stuff and it balanced out against what I had on my manifest. And he was like, slow down. And he let me go. And it was like, like, just don't speed with all the weed. And, you know, <laughs> <laughs> and I, it was like literally just that simple. But here in Illinois, you have to have a transport license. You have to have a certain type of vehicle. You know, there's, um, it has to be, it's only business to business. And it's it's just much more regulated here. Isn't it like, GP, isn't it like GPS tracked and you like yes, can't correct. deviate from the route? Yeah, well, that's that's yeah. the goal. I mean, no one is doing it quite yet besides the MSOs. But yeah, that's what they want you to have it tracked. And and, then, and it's for the safety. I mean, Oregon is a lot less... Um, I don't I, I felt safe out there. Like, I felt very safe in Oregon. I don't feel as safe in Chicago. I mean, just, you know, just don't. Uh, so it's more of a safety thing, I think, too, in, in, uh, in Chicago or Illinois is 
Well, I know, I know I heard you mention that elsewhere that like in Oregon, you weren't like mandated to have, I don't know if it was armed security or security. Correct. We're not mandated. Oh. We're not mandated to have armed security. You're not mandated to have armed person transport. Uh, you, you can, they, they don't tell you that you can't, but you're not mandated yeah. to do it. So, um, a lot of people do now though. They, because people have gotten hit to. Yeah. I've heard about that happening in Michigan more often lately. Yeah. yeah. So people have just decided themselves that they want to be safer. And then when like, when the riots happened, the, um, around, um, the, the guy who had this, the George, Floyd. George, George yeah. Floyd. Yeah. That, that was a really big uptick in violence in the Portland area and people getting robbed and, and it sort of stayed up since then. So there's been a lot more security going on uh, since George Floyd. Yeah. I mean, we've been doing a history of Illinois cannabis uh, series. And one of the things that we're going to be covering is that I think it was around the George Floyd, uh, you know, events that there were the first bur burglaries reported in Illinois cannabis. Yeah. And that seemed to happen around or the one country. of the first. Yeah. That seemed to happen around the country that people, people took advantage of un a very unfortunate situation and made it even worse. I mean, you can say what you want to say about MSOs, but you shouldn't steal from people. Like, period. <laughs> like, well, and all the people that work there were probably out of a job for like a week or two, at least, you know. And and it's your your sanity, you know. Um, I was never robbed in Oregon, but I did have like a close call, and it really changes you. It, it changes you in a. a a way is really hard to describe. If you've ever had your home broken into, mm. I think it has to happen in order for you to get it. But I can tell you that after we got broken into, I was a lot more tight on a lot of things. Like I wouldn't got a second gun as if I could shoot two at the same time, which I could. <laughs> but <laughs> in my mind, I'm like. <laughs> well, you had to get an ankle one, right? Right, 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 right. I had to get, actually I had to get a little one. I had to get a smaller one. Um, but yeah, yeah I mean, right. it's so, yeah. very scary. So yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, you got to be safe, you know, and do whatever you can to to you know to be safe, right? So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, I'm just uh, so it sounds back to um, you know, what your experience has been like. So it sounds like a few things have are way different if you just pointed out like transportation i've even seen a report that uh you know details some of the things you guys are both just referencing the gps location and stuff like that um but yeah what what else is like a a, a an operator um just because I'm curious, I mean, you know, there are no new licensees in Illinois, so we're not able to hear like an operator probably. standpoint of what it's like to sell weed, you know? Yeah, um, there, there are a couple here. Sure. Um, but in terms of like Oregon, another big difference, they have outdoor groves. So um, that's very different, but it doesn't change the process though. You still have to go through, you know, getting it badged and tracked and traced and all of that. Uh, in terms of operating, it is a very labor intensive job because when you're first starting, if it's can't, you know, it's business, it's all cash. Uh, of course, there's like now there's more credit card and debit cards, but when I started, it was all cash. And so that means that someone has to count it every day. And if you have employees, and I'm not knocking any individual person, but I wasn't from there. So the people I hired, I didn't know. So it's these random people counting my cash every day. <laughs> and I was like, oh no, because oh, I don't know you till I know you. So yeah. we're both going to count this cash every day. <laughs> and so, so it's, I mean, that's you have to be there, at least I felt like. I needed to be there every day. I feel like if you're going to do something, you need to mind your business. You need to know your business in anything. Um, 
one of the things that my mother always instilled in us, and this is no, no jab at my dad because he was very present in our lives, but, and still is uh, to that point, like my dad actually came and drove me back from Oregon when it was time to move. I called him and I was like, dad, I'm ready to come home. And he caught a flight and flew out there and drove me back. But um, my mom would always say, you know, you are my child, regardless of anyone else in the face of this earth, you are my child and I'm going to make sure you are taken care of. If someone else wants to come and help me change your diaper, that's great, but I'm gonna make sure this diaper is changed. I'm going to make sure you eat every day. If someone else wants to give you money or take you out to dinner, great, but there's always gonna be food in my home. So I took that attitude with my dispensary and that that was my business. Yes, I had partners. Yes, I had employees, but that was my business. And I needed to know what was going on in my business. Because one, I had aspirations to go beyond just that one store. And then two, when you know your business from beginning to end, you can work out the kinks better and faster. And you can start setting up processes that can help you not always be at the business, but you can see if things aren't adding up like they typically add up, you can notice that much quicker because you know what it's supposed to be. For example, um, where, I, where my dispensary was, was up in the mountains, the Elkhorn Mountains of Sumter, Oregon. And we had a lot of hunters. So during hunting season, we had a huge uptick in pre-rolls because they didn't want to disturb the deer with noise. So if I didn't see an uptick in pre-rolls when it was hunting season, I'm like, is somebody stealing my pre-rolls? What are they doing? <laughs> Do we have pre-rolls? Like I would start checking because like I knew the date that the licenses came out. I knew the dates that they let the elk out and there was all for you know, four consecutive years when I was there, there was an uptick during that week. So if there was not an uptick, I'm like, what's going on? And I knew that because I knew my business. Uh, yeah, I was just curious. How did you know to track that as a metric? Did you just like, could you gauge your people that that's who they were? And that's... Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Okay. And, yeah, and just being there, right? It's like some things you're not going to know unless you're there. And, you know, it's sort of going... I have no kids, but going back to parenting, you know your kids... <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like you, you know, you, I have nieces and nephews, but you know your kids. You know, you know that if you have a, have a certain kid who loves Pepsi, and you bought a two liter of Pepsi, and they sat there for a week and they haven't drank it, you're like, "What's wrong? Are you, are you okay? Are you sick?" Same thing with your business. When you know your business intimately, you can detect when something's wrong. You can detect when something's right. You know when things are going well, you know when things are not going well, and you can be there to manage those things. And additionally, um, you can learn your customers because no matter where you are, your customers are going to be different, even in Chicago. Because if you're in an area that's near a lot of college students, their needs and their desires are going to be different than the people in Oak Park. And they're going to be different than the people in Champaign. They're going to be different than the people in Chinatown. So knowing your particular, you know, customer base will be, I believe, is very helpful as a as an owner. And then it also uh, shows commitment to your staff, because I believe in, you know, teamwork. I'm no one's boss. I may be a boss, but I'm not anyone's boss. I don't run any grown person. Grown people run their own lives. I just set my parameters and let you decide how you want to operate within them. So, but when they see the owner, when they see the, the you know, the manager, they're working beside them, when it gives them more motivation and they're more committed because they know that they have your support and they know that you're just not like sitting in this, this ivory tower pointing down at them and telling them what to do. And also as you're creating your processes, 
if you know what your store goes through and you know what your employees go through, then you can create better programming and better processes for them. If you know that your, your dispensary is near a, um, a bar and they get a lot of drunk people who come in around 7 p.m. on Thursdays, you know, you may know that you may need to up security or you may need to implement other kind of rules and regulations so that they don't have to keep dealing with these drunk people coming in, being belligerent, disrespectful, blah, blah, blah. But you only know that if you're there. So I tell people who have won licenses here, and this is just my two cents, I don't run the world, but I run my world and it's worked out pretty good, is plan on being there for at least three months open to close every day as best you can, as best you can. Um, plan on committing yourself to your business, to your employees, and to your success. And don't put it in the hands of others. Yeah, it sounds, it's a lot like a... Uh... I feel like a restaurant or something when they open up, it sounds like, yeah. you know, like people who start restaurants when they open up, like that's just becomes your life. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it does. And I, I do understand that, you know, people have lives, so they, they may not be able to commit, but try, I, I feel like try as best you can. Sure. Try as best, for, for your own benefit. Yeah. So I've had, I've had conversations with, uh, Steve Marks, who you may be familiar with, uh, from Oregon Liquor mm -hmm. and Cannabis. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he just okay. left. He, he just did just left. leave. Yeah, it was kind of funny. Out, yeah. Okay, yeah. I didn't know that. Do you have uh, yeah, anything for yeah. us? What? What do you? He, 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 What's he, the hot gas? Yeah. Well, we have you know we have a new governor. We have a new governor. Uh, things didn't work out. People don't get along. And Steve Marks said, "You know what?" I'm about this piece. <laughs> Good luck with that lady. And he left last week. So the OCC does not have anyone right now. Man, Steve was, Steve was a really cool guy to speak to. He was a really great. He worked with us with Orca. Well, now it's called CIA. We did that on purpose. The Cannabis <laughs> Association of Oregon. <laughs> We're the CIA of Oregon. And I will say that Steve Marks was very um, relatable. He worked with us. He listened to us. And he, he was a team player. And I, you know, I hope whoever replaces him is as good and open-minded as he was. Yeah. Yeah, he's super cool. One of the things he described was how tough it is to compete in Oregon. And that's one of the things I was particularly interested in hearing about, like from your perspective today, having been in it, from, it sounds like from the very beginning, uh, basically. Um, yeah, what's that? What is that like? Because I've heard it's pretty cutthroat. So it is pretty cutthroat. Um, and I did not experience that. People that I know experienced that, but I didn't. Um, because my dispensary, as I say, it was in Sumter, Oregon, which is Eastern Oregon, which is near the Idaho border. And where I was in my county, there were only uh, four dispensaries in my county. And then the counties to the left and the county to the right did not allow cannabis. So we were able to get in at a time where there wasn't much competition. And the town that I'm in is about 1,500 feet long. And there's a rule in Oregon that you have to be 1,500 feet away from the next dispensary. And so my town will only ever have two dispensaries. So I just, it was like really, really, really fortunate that I ended up in that position. But to your cutthroat um, statement, that worked out really well in the beginning because Ontario, which is borders Idaho, uh, they were illegal. Well, they legalized two years ago, and they now have in that town, I believe there's 15 or 16 dispensaries in that town alone. So, of course, that strangled my area as well as the next area over. And so that's part of the reason why I moved was because that got strangled 
And so going into a different market now, that will be more, probably more competitive. Gotcha. Do you, I mean, do you think that, that Illinois will be more competitive? Well, one of the things that I think Illinois has had, has done well, at least at this point, is that when they started with the disparity study and then they limited licenses. What Oregon did not do from the beginning was limit licenses. And that's what led to the oversaturation. Well, Illinois is starting with limited licenses, so that helps cut back on the oversaturation. I will say that as the where, where we're sitting right now, that was a good move, I believe. Because you can always add more, but it's harder to take away. So by limiting by 500, you really get, you know, you can get, you can get those going and then see what the market is and then adjust up if you need to. Whereas Oregon is now just, I mean, you can't take people's license away. So you just have to allow for survival of the fittest and it's ugly. <laughs> you know, cause yeah. you, you don't want to see your friends lose. You know, you don't want to see your friends going out of business. You don't want to see your friends struggling and, and because we become friends. Uh, even if they're your competitors, they're people who have a passion and a goal and a dream that's just like yours. And in Oregon, I will say the people, for the most part, are very nice, even your competitors, you know? So you, you, you don't want to see them lose, but you don't want to lose either. I will just say, because Cole and I come at this from a consumer's point of view. You know, we don't work in the industry. We don't have dreams to work in the industry. So we actually interpret how Illinois has done things as a total failure. <laughs> well, I, I can see that, but... Like, I get, I know what yeah. the state said. I know their intention. But to us, it just seems like it's... The whole setup of it is very anti-consumer. Well, and so... I would agree with that. <laughs> I, I would have said, yeah, I mean, that's just how it is, you know? I mean, the 40% tax is anti-consumer. Oh yeah, well, but, yeah, yeah. But yeah. back, yeah. back to like Philip's point. He brought up restaurants earlier. You know, I think a brilliant point that uh, people have made in the past. That it's like businesses fail. What? What's? Does anybody know the statistic within like, like ninety percent of businesses fail? A lot of restaurants. Or restaurants. <laughs> I mean to say eighty percent fail within the first two years or something like that. Yeah. Right. And like so, like in the same spirit of that, like, I mean that's tough too. But nobody's like proposing to limit the opening of restaurants, you know? Because that was years ago and they're coming from a different place now. And and they still think of like weed as like druggy druggies. You know what I mean? Like they're trying to tax it higher, tax it when it's higher THC. To well, and me, just look at the, the transportation rules. Yeah. You know, it's like Illinois still has, you know, I think you know, like there's many reasons why we have a, a limited market and more of a lockdown and more conservative laws and penalties and things for people. But I think a lot of it's like just cultural. Illinois just is a cannabis conservative state, even yeah. though we like bill ourselves as liberal. Yeah, I, I think I agree with that. I, I definitely agree with that. And I think it takes people like you, like me, to change that. Um, I, I say this jokingly, and I hope no one ever takes this soundbite and like, you know, switches, changes, and rearranges it. But I was like, <laughs> you know, we, I was like, we just gotta let some folks die off, you know? We just gotta wait them out. We just gotta wait some folks. We have more time on our side <laughs> than some of the conservatives. And I think if we just like live long enough, we'll see some better changes. Um, but it takes it takes a consorted effort of the people who care and the people who really want to make change and want to make this a positive thing for consumers and for business and for the state. We can't just sit back and say, oh, the state's doing this wrong, the state's doing this wrong, and, and not jump in and try to do something about it. Like, we know, we know what we want, we know what we see, we know the things that bother us, get involved. 
Try to yeah. make a change. You know, do what Michael Jackson said. Want to make the world a better place? <laughs> you know, jump in and, and try to help. Um, I don't have all the answers. I don't know if it, none of us have all the answers, but we have to start somewhere. And then we have to keep working and 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 the work never stops. And that's the reality of this thing. Yeah. Well, and it seems like cannabis is just such a low priority for our lawmakers and they seem super ignorant about it. So it's just like, and it seems like, you know, certain people have more influence than other people. So it's just like, it just seems like it's very stacked. (laughs) <laughs> I think part of the low priority is people are afraid of what they don't know, right? So they're like, I don't know this. I'm just going to stay away from it. Mm-hmm. And and because that's the easier way to go. So they do. Yeah. So we, so we have to keep our foot on the necks <laughs> of, of the people and, and the state. And we just, we have to. I mean, it's, it sounds like very antidotal, but we, that's just what we have to do. We have to do the hard work. We have to ask the hard questions. We have to show up to legislators. And there are people that are, you know, that go down to Springfield. I'm not one of them because I just, I, I have so much on my plate at this moment, but that's on my list of things to do is to become more involved and go down to Springfield and go, you know, testify and support these things. And that's part of the reason why I sit on the trade association is I can't change everything. The trade association isn't going to change everything, but if everyone does a little something, something could get done. Yeah. What is the trade association you're referring to? Is it cannabis? Uh, The CBA, the Cannabis Business Association of Illinois. And that's where the majority of the um, MSOs, are a part of that. Oh, we know. Oh, we know. <laughs> <laughs> I was so just what is, confirming. I'm just wondering because, uh, you know, I know that a couple people have joined their board recently. Like it was you, I think Ambrose from 1937 group, someone, one or two other people. Maybe, um, maybe, uh, so maybe. what is your, what is your like opinion on, because they back in the medical day, they lobbied against home grow. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, for more restrictive laws, mm-hmm. like what is your, what is your opinion on that? <laughs> My opinion is, you know, we and like, what is, sorry. You, yeah. oh, no, you no. Go ahead. And I was just wondering, and like, what is your interaction with them? Like, and like, I don't know, I, like what goes on at the CBAI? <laughs> so I, I'm brand new. I've, I've been to one meeting, one board meeting, one. And um, I'm really Try just trying to get a feel to answer that question. Yeah, like I, I, I'm trying to learn that too of like what goes on, and um, so I can figure out what can we do to be more um, user friendly. Because I don't want this to be, I don't want this industry to be like us against them. Mm-hmm. Us meaning social equity, those that are not MSOs, the little people. Uh, I don't want it to be us against them. And, and I don't want us to have a industry here that is anti-consumer. Uh, but it's so new. That's one of the things that Oregon, one of the things that Oregon has taught me is that, so we're in year, I'm in year seven. And in year seven, we have made some progress, but it's very, very, very small. And so what that says to me is, it's going to take a long time. It's going to take a long time and you're going to be very angry and you're going to be very discouraged along the way. And you're going to want to, I mean, it's not easy. It's going to be very ugly. They're going to be hard conversations, but you have to be there to have them. Mm -hmm. You can't have the conversation if you're not there. So when you talk about a CBAI, you got to show up to figure out what's going on to then try to figure out is if what is what's going on, is it good? Is it bad? What's good? And how can we grow upon that? What's bad? 
and how can we squash that and what has been set in place that's not working that we can fix? Yeah, like I will say, I don't, I don't trust that group. I still resent them, but I, this is like exactly kind of what I was hoping to hear from you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and so that's why you're seeing more um, people of color and, and people from smaller groups joining CBAI and, and trying to do their part to make that change. Uh, mm -hmm. Nothing changes if, if you don't change it. So, you know, somebody's got to do it. And it, it, it's, I mean, I've, I've sat, in, I sat in a meeting in Oregon on a call with a lady who like looked me dead, a, a white lady who looked me dead in my face and said, I don't believe that black people have suffered as much as you all have stated. So to that end, I'm not going to grant <laughs> these monies. And, and I'm just sitting here looking at her like, and it was three black women on the call. And we we're all looking at each other on the Zoom like, you gonna say something, I'm gonna say something. <laughs> We're gonna say something. And we just ended the call. Because in that moment, I only had cuss words in my head. I don't know what the other two were thinking, but we all knew that if we spoke in that moment, it would not end well. And so I said, I gave that story to say that it will be uncomfortable. There will be uncomfortable and ugly conversations that will have to happen. There will be feelings that will be hurt and I'm prepared for that. So I joined CBAI because I'm not afraid that if we have to have that conversation, I'll be in the room. I, I can have that conversation. I'm not going to go, you know, and I'll show back up. Even if I lose, I'm going to show back up tomorrow and keep trying because I see what persistence from being in Oregon, I see what persistence can do and the directions we can go to make improvements and make it better. You know, like I said, we just got a $15 million grant that we can now reinvest and redivest into DIAs. It took seven years, but we got it. You know, we were able to get, uh, we were able to stop taxes from being raised another 7%. We were able to double the quantities that consumers can purchase. That took five years. So I'm not discouraged that CBAI or, or anyone has not been able to make the pendulum move in a year or, you know, the smaller groups um, or even CBAI. There are, there are things that have been done that probably need to be undone and it's going to take time to get them undone. But if no one says, hey, this is a bad thing and we need to fix it, it doesn't get fixed. Um, <clears throat> sorry, I was trying to pull, I was looking through our document really quick because I was pulling up like, so it sounds like as far as limit limitations on licenses that is something you do agree like a policy point maybe you would agree with I, them on today 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 because like if i look at oregon look at oklahoma um when, when it's a free-for-all there's a I, it seems like from my experience there's a lot more bloodshed so I think by tempering that in the beginning, we can lower the bloodshed later. And I, I get that point of view. And I even almost see, like, I've always thought long-term, like what is the future of growing cannabis in Illinois? Mm -hmm. You know, like, like 10, 20, 30 years from now. Mm -hmm. So it's like, was this the state's way of just denying people the right to grow weed? Like, they were like, oh, this isn't going to be here in 30, 40 years. So let's just make it a real headache and make sure only a couple of them get up because then no one will lose their investment. Like, mm -hmm. I don't know. That seems like, sure, you could, like, save people some hardship. But, yeah, it's well, like, I mean, it's been four years and we got one what, we got one craft grow up and running, you know? Because uh, money. Well, right, right. <laughs> I mean, it costs money. 
and there needs to be money. Mm -hmm. And you can give out 2,000 licenses. If only two people have enough money, you're still going to have 1,998 people not operating. I wonder, too, because, I mean, you probably you know, like the ins and outs of this as a craft grow licensee is part of the problem just that they've made it so expensive to get set up. I mean, it, it's just the state hasn't made it expensive to get set up as much. It's not as like just it's not like regulations. No, it's, it's just it's expensive to get set up. I mean, those those. um the grows cost, the lights cost money. Those lights mm -hmm. are not cheap. You know, your filtration system is not cheap. Building a building is not cheap. Wood has tripled in the last year. The cost of wood has tripled in the last year. It's mm -hmm. not cheap. It's, it's expensive just to get built. You can build it in Oklahoma. You can build it in New York. You can build it in West Kalamazoo. It's going to be expensive. The regulatory... I believe in Illinois for setting up a craft grow, for setting it up. I'm not talking about canopy size. That's another conversation. That's another part of this conversation. But just building and setting up a grow is expensive. You mm -hmm. need money. The problem is we don't have money. We can't go to a bank and get a loan. A lot of investors, uh, people who have like cash are not educated on it. So they're very scared. Um, and those that do have money want to take advantage. Is They're not giving good rates. They're not giving good partnerships, a lot of them. And it's like people are trying to take advantage of the situation. So you add all of those factors in. And, and then the canopy, because it's so low, while you can make money, you can find a way to make money, but it's hard. It's hard mm -hmm. to explain to an investor because the canopy is so small, this is how I'm going to get you your money back. If we had larger canopy and you were a good grower and you had the ability, you could better show an investor with this canopy, this is how I can get you your money back. Well, and see, that's I hear like Chicago Normal and the Illinois Craft Growers. I hear them say that. But I see CBAI working against that at least, you know, a year ago. Uh, that was a year ago. We're not there. But anymore. I was going to say, are you like yeah. going to be pushing for that from the inside yeah. now? Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. We, we actually already are. Yeah, good. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I, I actually have seen them put out proposals for that. So to your point, they have been making posts on Instagram. I can actually pull that up right now. Just since we're, for folks that aren't watching, it's chillinoynet slash video. Um, if you'd like to watch the video version of this episode. So they have, to your point, backed some proposals for uh, canopy space, I think, and like curbside. Maybe I'm wrong on the canopy space. Are you, do you remember? Yeah. Um, no curbside. It, was I wrong on canopy space? or? Um, they are, we're talking about it. Put it this way, they're, they're, they're pulling back on being against it. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Hey, yeah, not yeah, opposing it is half the work. <laughs> well, so my, what I was, I'll share my screen here to show you the proposals they have at least signaled some support for. I hope our video isn't in the way for one of these. I'm trying to move it. Here's all four of them. How about this? I'll just use this one image. Medical cannabis card reciprocity, decouple Illinois from punitive federal tax provisions. That's the 280E bill. Uh, can't create cannabis control commission that's what people say when they're talking about one plant one agency mm -hmm. uh, codify curbside pickup and i believe that would include adult use cannabis which is different from how it stands today mm -hmm. so that's their top recommendations i wanted to ask you uh, one of the things that they specifically op opposed and if if uh you know phil if phil alluded to like not being fans of them, it's because they at least have been reported as, and some of the members, the MSOs, uh, like Pharmacan. Uh, I'm I would I uh, would name them all, um, but you can you can literally look it up, or I can put the link in the podcast description later. Um, mm -hmm. Members of the CBA, I have opposed home grow, and so that's like, mm -hmm. yeah, I'd love to see some support on the expansion of that because frankly that's 
that would be truly ending the criminalization of cannabis in many ways. Um, We're just not opposing it. I, per I, personally, <laughs> support, I personally support homegrown, like Portia yeah. Mitten, not speaking on behalf of CBAI, but Portia Mittens personally supports that. But it, so it takes individuals to at least present that those statements and sure. then say, let's have this conversation about it. When you have, when the only people at the table are the people who are opposed it, then it, what's going to happen? It's going to get opposed. Yeah. So someone needs to come to the table or so someone's, because it's not just me, I'm only one person and it takes sure. a, more of us. Yeah. More of us have to come to the table and say, this is what we want. We're the industry too. You know, these are what, this is what the consumers want. We're speaking on behalf of what's best you and know, what we feel. And it's an opposition to you, but so what? We still got to talk about it. Yeah. Maybe I should talk to the CBAI about getting a consumer position hired on the uh, board <laughs> because they don't have that. You think about it. Like they say that that's well, part of it. Well, they do claim... Yeah, they claim to represent patients. I was going to say, if I go to the website, I think that it does say that they represent patients and stuff. So maybe it would be good. Maybe I can float the idea that, uh, you know, well, I'm a patient and I'm a consumer. I'd like mm -hmm. to be on the board. That'd be cool. <laughs> yeah, go, go ahead and try. I doubt it. Uh, unless you want to pay that fee. Now, they'll take your money. Okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, but... The point is like, one of the things is like, so you know me now, right? You know Portia yeah. now, you yeah. know, you know, you may, I don't know if you know Ambrose or Gabe or whatever, but you know yeah. us. So now we can have a conversation. You can come to me and you can say Portia. And this has actually happened. Like when curbside, when they, you know, after the 30th, when curbside was no longer, I had a couple of people text me like, Portia, what's going on with CBAR? Are they supporting this? Blah, blah, blah. Can you assist? Mm -hmm. And you know, I, I help put people together and let people talk. Oh yeah. And, yeah. You know, um, that's, that's, you know, that's part of it. It's like consumers, this is just me again. I'm not speaking on behalf of CBAI. I'm speaking on behalf of Portia Mittens. I happen to sit on CBAI's board, but I also have to sit on Oregon's board. So I'm not right. speaking for either one of them, but what I'm telling you and what I tell other people is you can talk to me. I'm not trying to be the bridge, but if I can be of assistance because I do have that space, I, I'm open. You know, I'm open to be a help in any way that I can. I don't know all the things that I can or can't do for CBAI. I, I don't, um, I'm not trying to say that I, I am it. I can fix it. I, I'm that person, I'm the gatekeeper. I'm just saying I'm trying to help in the, the ways that I know how. Right. And well, hey, I, I, yeah, I appreciate that. Sorry. Were you going to, were you going to say something <laughs> no, else? I didn't mean saying, to cut you off. You know, so, you know that, that's all. I'm, I'm just trying to help the ways that I know how. And you, you, you grow as you go. Yeah. So what I know now, and that's why I said like, I'm supportive of the limited licenses today because if evidence and information shows that that's not the way to go, I'm open to changing my mind. Like I'm not stuck on this thing because I made this choice six years ago. I mean, I cut all my hair off. If that was the case, I would always have long hair. You know, I'm, I'm willing to change when a situation makes sense to change. Yeah. Um, well, and again, I, hell yeah, hell yeah. <laughs> sometimes, sometime if we get together, we can try my home grow and I'm sure, I hope that you think it's great too. So, but, um, I don't uh, consume. No, no, really. I've never consumed ever, ever. <laughs> We're going to change I that. Gave, I gave out weed for Christmas though. Everyone loves to see me coming. <laughs> Oh, I bet. <laughs> Can I ask why not? I'm just curious. Um, so when it was first introduced to me back, like back in high school, everyone, the room I was in, everyone was smoking. And I was like, I know where their lips have been. I know where their lips have been. And I'm not willing to smoke behind them. 
it was just it was purely like germaphobe. Yeah. And then after that, like um, I see it as medicine. I see it as something to to assist, and I'm good. Like I don't have high anxiety. Um, I I like being. I like how I feel every day when I wake up. If that ever changes, I'm definitely cannabis is going to be my first route to go. So if I get cancer, God forbid, or if I'm having other issues that I know cannabis can assist in, that's the first route I'm going to go. But until then, as long as I'm good, I'm just going to not. I don't drink either. And I, I drink very little caffeine. So I just, I try to stay just like here all the time. I don't know right if it's where good you're at. Bad. Yeah. I don't know if it's seems, good it's, bad. It seems to be working for you. <laughs> it's, it's working out so far. I'm one of those people, if it ain't broke, don't break it. So that's really what it is. For me, is if it ain't broke, don't break it. And I've been doing pretty good. So that's it. It's, you know. Oh, yeah. Hell yeah. Well, um, so... Yeah, I was I was just gonna say just to dwell on this only for a little bit longer in ca- in case Phil you have any other questions too. Um, yeah, the the I, I would be interested to see what and I know nobody knows the answer, but what what is the future of cannabis like? You know, my hope is that it's like tomatoes, but I I just wonder how long we'll have these you know barriers. So federalization will have a big impact on that. Banking and federalization. Because when it gets to a point where Pfizer or a Marlboro or a Newport can get in the game, that's mm. going to change. And I don't think any of us know what that's going to bring. We know they're behemoths. We know we don't have as money as they as much money as they have. We know that they have these tobacco companies the amount of canopy space and their ability to grow, we know we don't have that. So when they can come into the game, I think they're going to do more dictating than we than, than we maybe expect. And then when we can start banking, that's going to change as well. Um, and I don't, it's going to be good in some ways, but it's, I think it may not be as good for social equity in some ways because we have a skewed banking system right. already. <laughs> right. So, so it was like, <laughs> yeah, I'm already getting screwed. I'm gonna screwed on another level. That's great. Um, yeah. But it will open some doors. It will open some doors, uh, but it's also, it's going to open both doors. It's going to open doors to those that have the capacity and the ability to get those big amounts of money, but it's, it's also going to allow like smaller people to get some money, but it's going to, I think, empower more of the bigger people more. And then they're going to dictate, I think, more than what we, we think. It's kind of scares me a little bit, to be honest. Scares all of us. it's it's kind of scary well because that's like we we covered a little bit like cannabis companies and their contributions to politicians and things like that and you know as much as they give to politicians like altria is giving way more money to politicians in illinois on both sides both sides of the aisle so Yeah. yeah so when they enter the game you know I don't know. I mean, I, I tell, I jokingly say this, but it's kind of sort of, you know, kind of sort of serious. I'm like, you know, if if I find out that an Altria or Newport comes in the game, I'm going to be like, hey, I think it's time for me to sell out Mutagana. Like, I think I need to get on up out this jam because <laughs> I don't want the smoke they bring in. <laughs> I think they'll have an advantage in like CPGs, like edibles, you know, stuff that like drinks and stuff like that. But I don't know. I always envision there's going to be like a small market, like a smaller operators will have a market growing and selling flour. That's just something I can't get out of my head. <laughs> well, I think like if we look at liquor, cause like Oregon is under the liquor control. 
you know you have the the Budweisers and the you know the and then you have the microbreweries. Mm-hmm. And you have, so I, I think it'll be like more of that, like the craft cannabis, mm-hmm. and then and then that big cannabis. And I think there's always going to be a space for craft. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I don't know what those pre-rolls that Philip Morris makes are going to taste like. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even smoke and I wouldn't trust them. Yeah. <laughs> if I start smoking, I'm, I'm definitely not getting the first Philip Morris pre-roll. I tell you, I'm going to my grandma's house <laughs> to get that weed that Ray planted back in the 70s. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. The <laughs> weed that's still growing back there, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. That's funny. Well, cool. Hey, I know we're pushing a little bit over an hour right now. Um, Philip, you got any other uh, questions that, that you feel we didn't uh, necessarily get to or anything else that popped up? Um, Nothing at all. Cool. Thought well, that was a very informative conversation. Yeah, I learned I, I learned a lot. And uh, I think it'll be cool to continue to chat with you, Portia. Um, I'm just curious to hear what it's like when um, you know, the boots hit the ground. You said that maybe things are moving soon. So, um, it, it was really cool to hear about your experience in Oregon and I'm so excited and I wish you the best of luck here in Illinois, but I'm so excited to hear about, you know, how, how it goes and everything else and would love to have you on, you know, I know just like we said earlier, the first few weeks, you're basically going to be living in the back office of whatever mm-hmm. facility you're working at at the time. Um, but yeah, we'll find some time, uh, for sure. To have you back on sometime. I don't so. sleep a lot, though. So. <laughs> <laughs> you better get you better get to sleeping if if the doors are going to be opening soon. Catch up or get ahead. You know what I mean to say. <laughs> right, get ahead, store up some sleep. Right. But thank you for having me. Um, I enjoyed the conversation, and I look forward to continuing the conversation. Yeah. And I'm always here. I'm just a. Uh, I, I don't know if you have my number, but I give you my number. I'm just a text away or a Instagram inbox away. Uh, I, I don't make promises, but I try my best to be responsive, be responsible, and be considerate in my answers and in my actions. Yeah. Well, hey, uh, I just messaged you and you gave me the time and I got to say, I'm so thankful for it. I'm glad to have made a new connection in the cannabis industry um excited to see what you do and i'm looking forward to the next time that we chat likewise cool all right with that folks i hope you found value in this episode of the chillinoy podcast we'll see you next time bye